We have been uh, talking for a while now about who Jesus is, and um, I'm sure you're aware of this by now from the years we've been together. I have a talent for stretching a simple question into seven or eight weeks. But I hope that you have begun to appreciate how complex the answer to this question is. And there are a lot of answers that people have come, with, come up with, both in the time that Jesus lived and the many years since, that we've seen all of these in the stories that we've looked at, that he was a prophet, maybe Elijah or Jeremiah, that perhaps he was John the Baptist, a contemporary of his at the time, that he was a great teacher and moral leader, that he was a radical and political prisoner. And some came to the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah, but we've seen that even that conclusion, as right as it may have been, was difficult for them to wrap their minds around, that they didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah, and they didn't grasp the plan that God had to redeem the world. And finally, after his death and resurrection, the fullness of the identity of Jesus was revealed. He was no longer just a prophet, but a savior. He was no longer a Messiah, but redeemer, the lamb of God who has come to save the world. And as Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. And so we've seen that it's only through the cross and the resurrection that the disciples and all of us who have come behind them can understand who Jesus really is. And even though the disciples experienced the risen Lord, they could hardly wrap their minds around the fact that Jesus was alive again. Though slowly and surely, Jesus was able to help them see the bigger picture. And all of this matters to us in this time and place that we live because the resurrection of Jesus is still the pivot point on which who he is turns. For those who do not believe in the resurrection, Jesus cannot be more than a teacher or prophet. But if you believe in the resurrection, Jesus is much more than either of those things. And so we've seen that the disciples, they had to shift from belief in what they could see and touch and understand to what they could wrap their minds around to what was easily explainable to them, to faith in Jesus as the Son of God and the Redeemer of the world, to something so big they could hardly wrap their minds around it, to, to something that was so hard to communicate That Jesus said, you need to wait for the Spirit to come and to give you the power and the ability to share what God is doing. But once they know and they grasp, then what? What was the next step for them? What were they to do? If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Redeemer of the world, then this belief has really far-reaching implications. And in short, his identity as the Savior of the world doesn't just matter to you, it matters to everyone. 
what you think, what you believe about Jesus doesn't just matter to you. It matters to everyone unless you think he was just a prophet and a teacher. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Redeemer of the world, then that matters to the world. For everyone is lost in sin. Everyone is in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. And so, in their new understanding of who Jesus was, the disciples grasping their faith had to shift. Because, you know, when we looked at all these stories, I don't know if you've noticed this, but so much of it was about what the disciples themselves believed about Jesus. It was about their own struggle to understand him and to know who he is and to live in the fullness of those things. And so their relationship to Jesus had to change from something that was inward to something that was outward. It was not enough you see, for the whole story to be about their personal growth anymore. As those who knew Jesus, they had to go out into the world and begin to be a part of creating faith in others. And we're going to look at just a few examples this morning, but we're going to start with Peter from John 21, verses 15 through 19. Jesus has been resurrected. He's appeared uh, to them in a couple of uh, different occasions. And so now he has this encounter with Peter himself. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is a really big moment that we get to peek into between Jesus and Peter. Peter had always been, you know, the outspoken disciple and because of that, he was prone to make really bold statements. Jesus, I will never leave you. Jesus, I will never betray you. And yet Peter did betray Jesus and denied ever knowing him. And so here in John 21, we get to see Jesus restore Peter. And it teaches us something important. When you come to know Jesus as the risen Lord, restoration is a part of that. There is, at the heart of understanding who Jesus is, a, a, a sense of restoration. And, and, and this is good news because, again, everyone was at one time away from God, 
But when you come to recognize Jesus as the risen Lord, it is an exercise in being restored to him. But what is so interesting about this is this, it's really not, as much as we want to make it about Peter being restored, it's really about more than that. It's about who Peter becomes in his restoration. It's not about just making him right and okay. It wasn't really even about what Jesus believed about Jesus or what Peter believed about Jesus personally. I mean, this was established in Peter experiencing the risen Lord and professing his love that he was he was with Jesus that he understood. But Jesus makes it clear this one thing. Do you love me? Because if you do, then you will start taking care of those who could belong to me. Peter was going to have to stop thinking about Peter and start thinking about the sheep, those who follow Jesus. And this is, this is an important point that those who are restored are to go out and take on the ministry of restoring others. Those who come to know Jesus as the risen Lord are to go out and help other people come to know the risen Lord. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we who have been reconciled have been given the ministry of reconciliation as if God were making his appeal through us. So Jesus sets up this scenario for Peter. Peter doesn't just get to decide whether he believes in Jesus anymore. He has to decide, if you believe in me and if you think and have faith that I am the risen Lord, then that is going to cause you to do something for other people and move beyond yourself. Jesus made this mission explicit in his last words to the disciples before he went to heaven from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, as Jesus is leaving them, they were to understand that their purpose in staying behind was not simply to grow their own faith, they were to go out and be people who started the creation of faith in others. So they were supposed to do a few things. Number one, they were supposed to make disciples. That's complicated, folks, making disciples. They were to introduce people to Jesus, convince them of who Jesus is and their need for Jesus, and be a part of creating those who would follow Jesus and who would be his disciples, 
those who follow his teachings, and then they were to baptize these people, having them embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers them, committing their life to him. And, and then to teach them, helping them learn to follow Jesus and all that that means. And that feels like a lot. As someone who is a professional Christian, I can tell you that these things are challenging. But this is the responsibility of those who come to know the risen Lord. They have to take the risen Lord out into the world and create opportunities for the kingdom to grow in the lives of others. And this is our task as well, to take Jesus out into the world and to create opportunities for people to know him and follow him. And maybe we're a little bit uncomfortable with some of this terminology. Like, you know, like, Bryce, we can't create faith in other people. And yet Jesus tells them to go make disciples. Bryce, we can't make someone believe in Jesus. But this is what he tells his followers to do. So, it seems a bit overwhelming. And some of you, I know, because we've had conversations about it, have struggled for years in relationships with people you know, wanting them to know Jesus and wanting them to have faith and not seeing it happen. So let's back up for a second. And let's talk about the sower. For Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, when we read this parable, we spend most of our time talking about the different kinds of soil, and it's right that we do so because Jesus brings it back around to the soil in the end. And he goes on to talk about all of the different kinds of soil, what they mean, and how they illustrate these different kinds of people. But for the sake of our discussion today, I want to talk about the person whose job it is to get the seed out in the first place. And there are a few things that I want you to notice about the sower. First of all, the, the sower has no conscience. Um, what kind of soil gets the seed? All of it. The sower, and I want you to stick with me here. The sower is not crawling around on the ground looking for the ideal place to put this one seed. The richest and most perfect soil. In fact, he doesn't seem to be paying attention to the landing zone at all. He is spreading the seed of the kingdom willy-nilly all over the place. I would like to think of that as maybe he's just throwing it up in the air or perhaps, you know, stylistically putting it in his palm and just blowing it out into the field. 
What's the point? The point is, it's not the job of the sower to make sure that the seeds are planted in the correct soil. Let me say that one more time. It is not the job of the sower to make sure that the seeds are planted into the correct soil. The job of the sower is to put the seeds of the kingdom everywhere and to let it grow where it will. Which makes me wonder, are we sometimes selective when it comes to where we share the kingdom? Do we decide ahead of time whether the soil is fertile or ready or not? Are we so concerned that the soil is ready for a seed to be planted that we keep from the planting at all? Or are we afraid to put the seeds of the kingdom onto the path or into the rocks, afraid of what might happen to the seed, or worse, what that might mean about us if the seed doesn't grow? You with me? So hopefully most of you got a seed packet this morning. If you have it, take it out. We have flowers, we have vegetables, we have herbs. If you don't have a seed packet, that's a crying shame. There are a few more back there. Um, uh, but if you would, if you have it, um, open it up and put a couple seeds in your hand. Just take a look at them. These look funky. This is not what I thought these would look like. I gotta be honest, um, the seeds that I have for zinnias look like uh, dried leftovers. <laughs> now, each of you has a picture on the front of your packet. So, like I said, some of you have flowers, some of you have herbs, some of you have beans. I think there's some carrots back there still. Um, they're all different ones, and the thing is, the, the seeds in my hand, the seeds in your hand, don't look like this. They don't. Um, so, is this this? Yeah, and no. You know what this is? This is potential. This is something that could be. This is something that really has no business becoming that, but it can. But the truth is that it will never become what it could be as long as it stays in this envelope and sits on the shelves at Target. It will never become this. It has to be planted. It has to go out into a place where it can grow. And 
some of you have already said as you were coming in that you have a talent for killing plants. Um, so we recognize something in that, though, that it may not grow successfully. Even if you do everything within your power to create a good environment for it, it may still die. And that is 100% your fault. Just kidding. But the thing is, it never has a chance if it just stays here. And you know what? I could protect these seeds. I can make sure that nothing bad ever happens to them. And I could keep them in a special place and in a special drawer in my house, and I know exactly where my zinnia seeds are. But they will never become flowers if that's what I choose to do with them. And I want to make something really clear. You cannot create faith in Jesus within someone else. But you know what? That's not your job. It's not your job. Your job, however, is to plant the seed that can lead to something more. Your job is to know that within your hand, you have the potential for something to come alive. The most important thing a disciple can do is to give the seed of the kingdom of God, a chance to grow. And in order to do that, our faith in our relationship with God has to move past us and who we are and what we need and begin to realize that The kingdom has to go out. That you have the opportunity to give life to something. And ultimately, church, this is what the knowledge of who Jesus is demands. That you believe these seeds need to be planted, that transformation can take place, that the kingdom cannot grow if the seeds of the kingdom are not spread everywhere. And this is reflected in our values and who we are as a church. Our go value says that Jesus changes our understanding of what others need, that we believe that Jesus matters. He matters not only to those who believe in him, but also to those who don't. That the world is lost without Jesus, and as those who know his life-changing love, we must go and tell others about who he is. So Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Could there be any more complicated of a question wrapped up in those six words? We believe that he is the difference maker, the son of God, the savior of the world. And we believe that the world needs him. Whether the soil is ready or not, 
We will be those who will tell the world about the risen Lord and we'll pray for faith to grow. We'll do our best to water it wherever it falls. And we will wait for the knowledge of the love of God in Jesus to change everything. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for who Jesus is. We are grateful that he is so much more. And Father, we are humbled that you would choose to spread your kingdom in the world through us. But God, it is our job as those who have encountered the life-changing love of Jesus to take the kingdom to the world, to let the seed grow where it will, to be unafraid, to spread it all over the place that the world might be changed. God, will you help our faith where it is hung up on, our, on ourselves, on who we are, on what we need to grow past that? Will you help us to understand that if we love you, then we will care for those who would follow you and come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.